Yeah. Are you guys doing all right? Yeah. Well, uh, I hope you don't have an Astros hangover, but uh, we're celebrating, that's for sure. That's awesome. Woo! It, it just proves that uh, there are more Christians in Houston than Philadelphia, I guess. I don't No. Just joking, everyone in Philadelphia watching our broadcast ministry, we love you. We will cut that out of the tape, that's for sure. But hey, we're here to celebrate Jesus Christ. And if our team wins or loses, uh, we win because of Jesus Christ, who's won the victory for us. And through his death and resurrection, we can celebrate because he's alive to make all the difference in our lives. And so I really... I'm excited about today because we're going to hear from the Lord through his word, and it's going to be life-changing. We've been looking at the power of honor, and we want to honor God, so let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your love for us, and we thank you, Lord, that you're always there. There's no one going to love us like you because you know us best. You know everything about me, the good, bad, and the ugly, and yet you love me more than anyone else. You love us completely, and we thank you for that, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would just give us the wisdom today to love you back, to follow you and to obey you because you know what's best for us. You created us. You know how we work best, and you gave us your owner's manual for life, the Bible, to give us guidance and strength and and show us the direction to go. Lord, I know that you didn't give us your word to make us miserable but Lord, so we can enjoy life and find fulfillment in heaven one day. And I just pray for everyone today because I know we all have needs, we all have hidden hurts. And I pray that you would meet those needs and those hidden hurts because Lord, you care about us so much. We give you all the honor and glory. You're the only one who deserves it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. In this series, we're looking at the power of honor because honor's the key that unlocks the blessings of God in our lives, while dishonor blocks the blessings that God really wants to give us. Of course, it all starts by honoring God, by putting him first place in our life. But honor's also a foundational value that builds strong families and healthy relationships. God blesses relationships that honor God by treating each other with value. Honor is also an essential glue that holds societies together. But dishonor slowly tears away at the fabric of a society and weakens nations. Unfortunately today, we live in what has quickly become a culture of dishonor. Instead of treating each other with respect, we treat each other with rudeness. Instead of treating each other with honor, we treat each other with anger. I mean, rudeness is on the rise, isn't it? Common courtesy is just not so common anymore. I'm gonna start out today by sharing with you some rude things that people do that irritate me the most. And this is just for my therapy. If it helps you, then great. I'm just getting this off my chest to feel better. Here's one that really irritates me. People who honk their horn in a traffic jam that's going nowhere. I mean, really? I mean, do you think by honking your horn, the traffic is just gonna magically disappear? Or that person in front of you is going, man, thank you for waking me up, I'll move two inches. I mean, it never makes any sense to me. Okay, here's one. 
people who clap in the movie theater when the movie ends. And I'm going, I don't think the actors can fully appreciate your applause because they're not here. They're not coming out for a curtain call, okay? Here's one that irritates me. People who take more than 10 items to express checkout. Maybe I should be more understanding. Maybe they just don't really know math very well. They're like me. They're not so good at math and They don't know the difference between 10 and 63. I don't know what it is, but does that bug you too? I know some of you do that, so um, it doesn't bug you. Here's one. People who come from the opposite direction and then they steal a parking spot you patiently waited for. That's rude, you know. I saw that happen in the parking lot of Little League Soccer the other day. I saw um, a guy waiting for the parking spot, and then I pulled in and stole it from him, and it was just really, (laughs) it was really wrong. No, I didn't, I didn't do that, but somebody else did, and then they both got out, and it was almost a fist fight right there, getting ready for the six-year-old soccer game. It was crazy, but that's kind of the way it is today. Okay, here's one that really bugs me. People who go to sleep during my message. That one gets me. Sometimes I'll see someone out there that's just sound asleep, and you probably have a good excuse because your Astros hangover today, but um, they're probably out partying too much on Saturday night, and then all of a sudden they fall asleep, and I I see them. And I just want to say, hey, everyone, there's a guy over there that's falling asleep. Why don't we all just leave, and when he wakes up, he'll think the rapture has come. Yeah. This will be worth teaching him a lesson. Here's one you can probably relate to. People who pull out in front of you as you're going 50 miles per hour, and they're going about two miles an hour. But on that one, I have to admit, I've been that annoying guy at times. Sometimes I'll sort of zone out when I'm driving, and I'll pull out in front of someone without realizing it. A couple of years ago, Chris and I had just come back from a trip overseas, and we went straight from the airport, and we went to uh, a softball game, church softball game that our two sons were playing in, and as I was driving home after the game, the jet lag just started to hit, and I started to fade and kind of lose my focus, and we just happened to be going by the Woodlands campus down Gosling Road at the time. And I changed lanes without realizing I'd pulled out in front of a car until I was startled by the car just honking at me. And I thought, oh, no, whoa. I I mean, I I almost caused a wreck. I've got to focus. This could have been really bad. But then it did get really bad because the guy continued to honk at me. And before I knew it, he changed lanes, sped up, got a car length ahead of me, then suddenly turned sharply, cut me off, and blocked me and stopped me with his car. And I thought, so this is road rage that I've been reading about, you know? This guy jumped out of his car yelling and cussing as he ran towards me. And when he got right up to my window, I rolled down my window and I said, sir, I am so sorry. It's all my fault. You know, I just lost focus or something. I am so sorry. He just continued to yell at me. And by the way, as strange as all that seemed, we just happened to be right in front of the Woodlands Church sign, right at our church entrance. And the guy, still yelling at me, all of a sudden just did a double take, and he stopped. 
His eyes got real big, his mouth dropped open, and then he began to walk slowly backwards <laughs> until he got to his car and he got in, he quietly drove away. And Chris said, what was that? I said, oh, it's probably just one of our good church members who recognized me, I don't know. That's probably what it was. A couple weeks later, a guy came up to the church and he said, I don't go to the church, but I had a road incident with Pastor Kerry a couple of weeks ago, and I just wanted to come up and apologize to him personally. I give the guy a lot of credit for doing that. I mean, that's so rare today for people to own up to their mistakes when no one would know. That's honoring others when you take responsibility for your mistakes. We need more of that today. But I'll tell you the moral of the whole story. God used your pastor's annoying driving habit to build someone's character. That's the whole point. Because sometimes God uses me as heavenly sandpaper to rub the rough edges off others to make them more like Christ. Every one of you have someone in your life that is your holy sandpaper. Yeah, they rub you the wrong way, but God's using them in your life. Now the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. So honoring others means that we value and respect everyone, that we treat everyone with honor and respect. Now focus on the word everyone. The Bible says we're to treat everyone with honor. That's everyone, your friends, your spouse, your kids, that jerk that's impossible to get along with at the office, your mother-in-law, unbelievers, everybody. We're to treat everyone with value and respect. How in the world do you do that when some people make it really, really hard? Well, fortunately, God's word tells us how, and it also tells us when we treat everyone with honor, it unlocks the blessings of God in our lives and relationships. This is a message that our culture needs desperately. This is a message that we all need desperately. So I want you to stand in honor of God's word, and we'll look at the book of Titus in the New Testament as the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to Titus, one of the church leaders, and he says, remind the people to respect the government and be law-abiding, always ready to lend a helping hand. No insults, no fights. God's people should be big-hearted and courteous. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled by others and became slaves to many evil pleasures and wicked desires. Our lives were full of resentment and envy. We hated others and they hated us. But when the time came for the kindness and love of God our Savior to appear, then he saved us. Not because we were good enough to be saved, but because of his kindness and pity. By washing away our sins and giving us the new joy of the indwelling Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us with wonderful fullness. And all because of what Jesus Christ our Savior did, so that he could declare us good in God's eyes. All because of his great kindness. And now we can share in the wealth of the eternal life he gives us, and we are eagerly looking forward to receiving it. These things I have told you are all true. Insist on them so that Christians will be careful to do good deeds all the time. For this is not only right, but it brings results. You can be seated. This passage tells us that treating everyone with honor is not only the right thing to do, it's not only that we do it because God commands it, though we do, it also produces results. It opens the door for blessings in your life. The Apostle Paul starts out this passage by telling Titus, a leader of the church, 
to remind people. You need to remind them of this, that you're to treat everyone with honor. You gotta remind them of this all the time. The only way you're going to be able to treat everyone with respect and value is to remember some things about God and to remember some things about you. And so I wanna remind me and remind you of these things so that we will experience the blessings God wants to give us as we honor everyone. You see, the first thing I need to remember is God created everyone, so don't look down on anyone. God created everyone so we don't look down on anyone. In Psalm 8, 5 it says, yet you, God, made them inferior only to yourself. You crowned them with glory and honor. The Bible says people are the crown of God's creation. Even the people that are hardest to love, even the people that act disrespectful are the crown of God's creation. And God says that we're to treat them with honor because he created them. Because we're all created by God, we all deserve respect. Now we tend to be respectful to people that we believe are higher than us in social status. And we tend to be disrespectful to people who we think are lower than us in social status. But God says we're to treat everyone with equal respect. God says whether they're a billionaire or a beggar, you're to treat them with respect. Now it's interesting to me that, that Jesus, when he in Matthew talked about heaven and people coming in to heaven, he said at the end of the age, I will have all the righteous with me, and then I'll say, hey, you guys, come on into heaven, this perfect place that I have prepared for you. And he says, because you took care of me when I was sick, because when I was homeless, you gave me a place to stay. Because when I was in prison, you came to visit me. When I needed food, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me refreshment. And then, he says, then the righteous will say, Lord Jesus, when did we see you hungry and feed you? I remember doing feeding for the homeless in our homeless ministry at church. And Lord, when did I see you homeless and give you a place to stay and work it all out for you? I don't remember that. I know that I was involved in the homeless ministry at church. And Lord, when did I visit you in the hospital? I know that I was part of that hospital ministry at church. And Lord Jesus, when did I visit you in prison? You were never in prison. I mean, I visited the prisons in our prison ministry, but you weren't in prison. And then look at Matthew 25, 40, what Jesus says. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. When you serve and honor someone who can't do anything for you in return, that's honor, and God blesses that. And you're being Christ-like. You're really serving Jesus Christ. When you treat the forgotten, the nobodies, the overlooked, and the ignored with dignity and honor, you are serving Jesus in disguise. If you treat the least of these with disrespect, you dishonor Jesus Christ, and it's a serious thing. Have you ever been at a gathering and you're talking to someone but they're looking right past you as if you're invisible and they're looking at someone more important they think than you? 
or they're looking for someone more important than you. They're just looking right past you like you're not even there. I think we've all experienced that and we probably have all done that at times. I'm so glad God doesn't treat us that way. He's holding the whole universe together and yet he always makes time for you. He always makes time for me. He's never too busy for us. Maybe you look like a nobody to everybody, but not to God. He created you for a purpose. And maybe you feel invisible to everyone else, not to God. He knows you and he knows everything about you and he loves you. You see, first we need to remember that God created everyone, so don't dare look down on anyone. And then there's a second thing I wanna remind you of. Look deeper and see someone Christ died for because everyone you meet, Christ died for them. Everyone you meet, the homeless person, the criminal, everyone you meet is someone Christ died for. That person at your workplace that's an atheist, and antagonistic toward you, Jesus Christ died for them and loves them. You see, we just look at people on the surface and judge them. We don't really look deeper. And when we don't look deeper, we always dishonor. We don't treat people with dignity until we take a second look. And sometimes we dehumanize people because of their actions that are destructive. Sometimes we just see the surface and we don't really recognize who they are. We don't recognize there's someone that Jesus Christ died for and loves. When Queen Elizabeth passed away a couple of months ago, a lot of her friends and family in interviews were telling their favorite stories of the queen, and a lot of the stories had to do with the queen's dry sense of humor. And her former royal protection officer, Richard Griffin, told about the time that he was walking with the queen on one of her daily hikes around Balmoral. And they saw two hikers coming toward them, and the queen would always be friendly and say hello the few times that she would run into hikers. Griffin said it was an American couple on holiday, and it was clear when we first stopped that they hadn't recognized the queen. And the guide told the queen where he was from in the U.S., and then he asked the queen, where do you live? <laughs> and she said, well, I live in London, but I've got a holiday home just the other side of the hill. And they said, oh, wow, if you have a home up here, you must have met the queen at some time. And without missing a beat, she said, well, I haven't, but Richard here meets with her regularly. <laughs> and the guy got really excited, and he says, you've met the queen, that's amazing. And Griffin said, I played along and said, well, yeah, I have. She can be kind of cantankerous at times, but she's got a lovely sense of humor. And he said, the next thing I know, the guy puts his arm around my shoulder and gives his camera to the queen and asks if she could take a picture of us. And she did. He said, then I took the camera, even though they didn't want me to, and I made them stand next to the queen and I took their picture. And then we waved goodbye without them ever knowing she was the queen. And her majesty said to me, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when she shows that picture to her friends and someone tells her who I am. When we don't look deeper, we don't treat people with the dignity they deserve. Those people that annoy you the most, I can tell you something about them that you don't know. They all carry a hidden hurt. How do I know that? Because everyone carries a hidden hurt. I read a true story about a businessman on the subway, and he was in a packed subway car, and there was this 
man with three kids and the three kids were running around and they weren't being you know, corralled at all by the dad. He seemed to not even notice what was going on and they were yelling and screaming, they were fighting, they were bothering everybody else on the subway car and this businessman said, I finally took it upon myself to speak for every one of us who couldn't take it anymore and I said, sir, your kids are disturbing everyone in here. Could you just make them sit down and quiet down a little bit? And the man looked up for the first time and he said, oh, I'm so sorry. He said, we just came from the hospital where their mother passed away and I guess they just don't know how to react and don't know what to do and I don't know what to do. The businessman said, in an instant, my whole perspective about that man changed. All my anger turned into shame and then compassion. And for the rest of the trip, the other passengers and I played with the kids, tried to help them and tried to help the dad as best we could. But he said, I've never looked at people the same way again. You see, Jesus said you have to look deeper than the surface to see someone's hurt. And by the way, hurt people hurt people. And that person that hurts you, that person that hates you, that person who causes all kinds of problems in your life, they're hurting. It's no excuse for them hurting you, but have you ever seen past the surface to see their hurt. Have you ever seen past their actions to see they are someone Jesus Christ thinks is worth dying for? And that's why we're to treat everyone with respect. We don't agree with them. Sometimes you gotta stand up to the actions, but we treat everyone with respect and dignity because Christ commands it because he died for that person. That atheist that's antagonistic, that curses God's name, we're to treat them with respect. Why? Because Jesus Christ thinks they're valuable enough to die for. When we look deeper, we'll see that there's someone, they are someone Christ died for, and that we will see that we too are like them, except for one fact. Jesus Christ forgave us and he saved us and we don't deserve it. Look at what Titus 3, 4, and 5 says. Let's go back to our key passage. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Hey, we're all broken and deserving of punishment but when you come to Christ, he forgives you of all your sins. He comes to live inside your life through his Holy Spirit. He gives you the power to live for a purpose. And he gives you heaven one day, not because you deserved it, not because I deserved it, but because of his mercy and grace. And when someone acts in a non-Christian way, if they're a non-Christian, that just makes sense, doesn't it? It's when a Christian acts in a non-Christian way and doesn't treat others with honor and respect. That doesn't make sense. And so those people that are antagonistic, that are really hard to respect, that don't act respectful, they don't know the Lord. Maybe we should start feeling sorry for them because we too had sins and faults and mistakes and weaknesses and brokenness 
and regrets, but God has forgiven us of all those things, not because we deserved it, because he died for us. And maybe we ought to see that they can have the same thing if they'll receive it. You see, I feel like we don't treat others with respect and dignity because we forget how much God has saved us. And we forget how much God has done for us. I think many times it's because we're not grateful that we judge others. Or we don't really move into God's grace and we judge others. If you're judging others and comparing yourself, saying I'm better than them or I'm better than them, then you've forgotten about grace and you are in a flight from grace and you don't even know it. Because when you say, hey, I'm just like them except for Jesus Christ. Praise God for what he's done for me. And when you sin, you don't say, that wasn't that bad, that one's worse over there, that guy's worse over here, that guy's worse over here. No, you go right to the cross again. You just say, thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. I admit, I'm just like every other broken person except of you. You have made all the difference. It's the gratitude that really helps us give honor. We need to remember God created everyone, so don't look down on anyone. We need to look deeper and see everyone as someone Christ died for. Do that this week. Everyone you meet at the grocery store, in your neighborhood, the people that you don't like at your workplace, the people that are annoying, the people that have hurt you, look at them in the truth that there's someone Jesus Christ thinks is valuable enough to die for, and then thank God that he died for you. And then you feel compassion for them to pray for them that right now they're on a path that leads them to a Christless eternity. They're gonna miss out on eternal life in Jesus Christ in the perfect place of heaven and experience that eternal punishment. That's why God says have compassion and be an army of compassion, church. But we also need to remember that we honor God by respecting authority. Now, this is where it gets really tough. Sometimes I wish I could just skip over this, but nope. This is where the rubber meets the road. In Titus 3, 1 and 2, Paul says, Remind the people to respect the government and be law-abiding, always ready to lend a helping hand. No insults, no fights. God's people should be big-hearted and courteous. This is crucial to unlocking the blessings of God in our lives, learning to respect authority. Our kids have to early on learn to respect authority, to respect their parents, to respect their teachers. And if you don't learn to place yourself under the earthly authorities that God has allowed to be over you, then you're not under God's authority. We respect law enforcement, rule of law, our elected and appointed leaders. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't be held accountable, but we're to respect them. We respect those positions. But wait a minute, Carrie. What if an elected leader is not acting respectable? Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Gets a little harder right here. Gets a little tougher. Or 1 Peter 2, 17, I'm sorry. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God, honor the emperor. Focus on that phrase, honor the emperor. Respect and honor the emperor. They told the early Christians, do you know who the emperor was at that time? Nero, the crazy, godless, evil emperor who burned Rome and blamed it on the Christians. And they're to honor the emperor? See, the early Christians respected the position, even if they couldn't respect the person. They respected and obeyed the laws unless it violated scripture, because God always comes before the government. 
but they were known as law-abiding citizens, and they respected the authority of the emperor because for some reason God had allowed it. And when it comes to all our elected leaders, we're to respect the position. In our country, we can vote them out of office, but Christians should do our civic duty and vote, be involved in encouraging good leaders to run for office, all those things, but we're to respect everyone in authority, state, local, and national leaders. We're to respect that authority. Why? So God can bless us, so that it unlocks the blessings of God in our lives. You see, the early Christians stood out because they obeyed the laws except for when it was, you can't pray. You, you, you can't follow Christ. That's a sect that we're going to persecute. And whenever it came to that, then they would follow God and people would go, man, these guys are law-abiding citizens. They don't cause any trouble and they're killing them. And so they respected and honored those positions even if the people weren't respectable. Now here's where it gets a little tougher. First Timothy 2, 2 and 3. Pray for rulers and for all who have authority so that we can have quiet and peaceful lives full of worship and respect for God. This is good and it pleases God our Savior. So we're to pray for our leaders, all of our elected officials. We're to pray for them. Why? For our benefit. So things go well with us. Isn't that amazing? Well, first, because it pleases God and he commands us to. But secondly, he says, pray for them so things will go well in your life. I prayed for President Bush, President Obama, President Trump. I pray for President Biden. Why do I do that? Because I agree with all their policies? No. I do it because God commands me, and I want things to go good for me. I'm a little selfish, okay? I'm a little selfish. And God says, you can do that. I pray for them that they'll turn toward God's purpose, that God will bless their family, that God will watch over them, and God will turn them toward his values, and God will turn them toward good decisions. And that's what I do. Whether I like them or not, that's what I do. You treat everyone with honor and respect, and we're to pray for them. That's, that's not always easy, is it? We pray for them. Regardless of party, regardless of policies, we're to pray for them. And God blesses you when you do that. But it gets even more difficult here. The fourth thing that we need to remember is to hold on to the truth, but don't hate anyone. Hold on to the truth, but don't hate anyone. In Titus 3, 3, he says, once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled by others and became slaves to many evil pleasures and wicked desires. Our lives were full of resentment and envy. We hated others and they hated us. Saying, before you became a Christ follower, it was just natural to hate people who hated you. I mean, that's what we were like, you know? When someone who's not a Christ follower hates us, and when you're a Christ follower and you stay holding on to the truth and you follow God's word, it doesn't matter how loving, compassionate you are to everyone, there's some people that hate you, that just can't stand you. Why? Because they don't know Jesus. That's natural, isn't it? And then it's natural for us to hate them back, but we have a supernatural power inside us. I mean, every once in a while someone comes up after the service. Usually people say, Pastor Kerry, that message really spoke to me and God is really encouraging me here. But every once in a while someone comes up to me, oh, I don't like your church. 
And I didn't say, well, I don't like you. God bless you, we'll see you. <laughs> no, I never do that, why? Or if someone says, you know, online or something, well, I hate Pastor Kerry and his teaching or whatever it may be, what do I do? Pray for them. Pray for them. You know, who cares, you know? Just pray for them. You see, we used to hate others. The natural thing to do is hate someone who hates you. But we do something supernatural. Now, in Romans 12, it says, be sure your love is true love. Hate what is sinful, hold on to whatever is good. Now, today in our culture, many times we honor sin. We honor that that is dishonorable. And we're to hold on to the truth, honor the truth, hate sin, but not sinners. And I feel like a lot of churches are just giving up on the truth because it's hard because a few people hate you. No, you hold on to the truth. You hate sin in our lives. You're not judgmental because you hate sin. You hate sin and sin being honored in our nation. And that's what God says that we're to do, but we're to love. Starts it off by be sure you love. Your love is true and hate what is sinful. Hold on to whatever is good. But then in John 15, 18, Jesus said this, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. <laughs> Jesus said, hey, uh, I am the kindest person who ever walked this earth. I was the most compassionate and the most loving, and they killed me. So why do you gripe when someone doesn't like you? Why do you get all upset? Why do you hate them back? They hated me, and I died for them. Jesus said, just listen to that great theologian, Taylor Swift. Haters gonna hate, shake it off. That's what he said. <laughs> shake it off, what's the big deal? In Matthew 5, 43, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, love your friends, hate your enemies. But now I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may become the children of your Father in heaven for he makes his sun to shine on bad and good people alike and gives rain to those who do good and to those who do evil. Why should God reward you if you only love the people who love you? Even tax collectors do that. He said, hey, you know, everyone says there's a saying and a tradition and still alive today very much, it's... But well, most people believe that you love those who love you and you hate your enemies. Love your friends, hate your enemies. Just makes sense, doesn't it? But a lot of what God calls us to do doesn't make sense. It's totally flipped around, it's totally different. So people can see the difference in us and go, wow, that's amazing, how do they do that? He says you're to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And the persecution here wasn't just someone at work that's kind of hassling you. It was being thrown in prison and killed because you're a Christ follower. You're to pray for them? How do you do that? Well, you just do it. You step out and you do it. And then God begins to bless you. He unlocks blessings in your life. Pray for those. And he says, why should God reward you if you love only people who love you? Anybody can do that. He says, the worst of sinners can do that. You know, the, the worst criminal does that. He says, you guys are, are to be different. You got God in your life and the power of God living through you. You're different. You know, you're strangers on this earth. You were made for eternity. You were made for another world and we're to be different. Now, we're to fit into society and be there at work and not be different because the first, the early Christians, it was really interesting 
in the early church, in those times, there were the Jewish people who they would all just be by themselves, you know, and, and following their religion and following, you know, the Old Testament scriptures, and they would be, you know, good people, but they would be separated from everyone else because they, you know, that, they just lived in that separation. And they didn't really live lives in the world at that time because the world was so bad. But the Christians, and by the way, then the other part was the huge part, the Roman world. And it was just a big secular, you know, just evil world, just dog eat dog and anything goes and power, you know, rules the day. And that was the secular world. But the Christians, they were totally set apart in their heart and the way they lived, but they were right there in the culture, working. They would be working with, you know, 30 other, you know, Roman citizens that hated God and, you know, worshiped other gods. And so, and they would say, wait a minute, these guys are amazing. They work so hard. This guy has such integrity, but wow, he is really different. You know, and they would notice that. They love people. It's amazing. And so we're to pray for our enemies and we're to be different in this world and we're to be among people and not judging everybody. That's what God calls us to do. Have you ever prayed for someone who hurt you? I'll never forget, years ago, there was a guy that I considered a friend and he said some things about me that weren't true and it just really hurt me. And I was like, what? I'm the nicest guy you could ever know. I mean, don't you really know me? I mean, I'm wonderful. I mean, that's kind of what I thought at first. It's kind of silly. But anyway, um, but it just really hurt me and affected me. And I remember just being so frustrated for several days and just really kind of losing my purpose and my vision for the church and all these things. And, and I was just so frustrated, not enjoying life. And then finally, I remember that passage, pray for those who hurt you. I was like, okay, God, this is hard for me, but I pray you would strike him dead. No, don't strike him dead. <laughs> Don't do that. Have a little mercy on him. Just do something that puts him in the hospital for a couple of weeks and makes him wake up to your love and how wonderful I am. No, I didn't pray that. I just prayed, God bless him beyond measure. And it was amazing. It was like all this burden lifted. I felt God's love and strength and I was able to just really follow his purpose and God blessed in an amazing way in those coming days. And I was like, God bless, I kept praying for him. Whenever someone hurts you, you pray for them. Whether you mean it or not, it doesn't matter. You just obey and then all of a sudden you feel it and you feel God's grace and you think, man, I don't deserve anything and look at what God has done for me. And you focus on God's purpose again. You don't, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by critics. Follow God's purpose because you please an audience of one and everything else is gonna take care of itself. That's what it's all about. You know, in the early church, they had no power, very little resources, no political clout, no influence. They were just this little, considered a sect that had nothing. And yet, within 300 years, all the Roman Empire was Christian. How did they do it? They had no clout, no power, no influence. They were marginalized, persecuted. How did they do it? Here's how they did it. You can go back and study this historical facts. The Christians, when they saw kids on the street, and there were so many street kids, 
Everyone else would go, man, I can't feed my family barely, so I can't do anything about them. There was no compassion in that Roman Empire for kids, and so all these thousands upon thousands of street kids were out there, but the Christians took them in. Even though they had little resources, they would feed them, they would house them, they would practically adopt them into their families, and people go, what are they doing? It's wild, why would they, why would they do that? What benefit is that? And then there were all these lepers who were dying of that terminal disease of leprosy and they would cast them outside of their cities because nobody wanted to get close to them because it was such a communicable disease and, and deadly, except for the Christians who would go out to the leper colonies and they would minister to them. They would hug them and risk dying for them. They would meet their needs and share the love of Christ. And people would say, why are you taking in all these street kids? Well, we love Jesus and Jesus showed us compassion and love and people would take notice. First they go, what? I don't get it. And then they go, I wanna know more about this. And they would say, why, are you, why do you risk your life going to these leper colonies because of Jesus? He showed us his love and compassion when he died on the cross and rose again to forgive us of all of our sins. And so we love people. And you see, whenever pandemics would come, and they would come all the time, and people wouldn't understand what was happening, but everybody's dying, the rich folks would leave the city and go up into the hills because they knew being around people was a problem. But the Christians would stay, and they would minister. Many of them would die, along with everyone else, because they'd be loving on people, meeting people's needs. And people would go, why did they do that? They risked their own life. Why would anyone do that? Because Jesus gave his life for us. And because the Christians were different. They were an army of compassion and love. It turned the whole empire upside down in 300 years. And Christianity took over all the Roman Empire. Why? Because of their love for Jesus and their love for others. That was why. And they held on to the truth and were persecuted for it. But they loved in spite of it and people couldn't believe it, and they wanted what they had. And that's the secret today. That's what our nation needs, that's what our world needs. Christians will hold on to the truth and not give up on the truth, no matter how hated we may be, but then we just love. We just love, and we just keep loving, we keep loving, we keep loving, and that's exactly what Jesus taught us. You see, the church, the body of Christ, is the hope of the world. Next weekend, we're gonna celebrate our anniversary as a church, and it's gonna be a huge celebration as we look forward to the vision God has for us in the future, but I can tell you this, the church, the local church, the church of Jesus Christ, and there are a lot of great ones around here that love Jesus and teach his word, that's the hope of the world because our nation has some deep spiritual problems that nothing else has been able to solve and we need spiritual answers, and Jesus Christ is the answer, and you're the body of Christ. And Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, Jesus Christ, he ascended to heaven, but before he did, he said, hey guys, I'm going back, but I'm gonna send you my Holy Spirit to live in you. I'm gonna live inside you through my Holy Spirit, you're gonna be my body, you're gonna be my hands that reach out to the hurting. You're gonna be my feet that are gonna go to the poor and powerless. You're gonna be my voice that shares the good news of love and truth. You're gonna change the world. And by the way, that's plan A and there's no plan B. You, the body of Christ, are the hope of the world. And I'm telling you, church, we are an army of compassion and love that holds on to the truth. 
And as long as I'm the pastor of Woodland Church, we will never give in on the truth of God's word because it's God's word and God knows better than us. And so we're just gonna go by God's word. God knows better than me. I'm just gonna go by God's word. We're never gonna give up on the truth, but we will always live the truth in love in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ was the fullness of truth and love, scripture says. And when they see Jesus Christ, people are tired. People are tired of just being preached at, they wanna see a sermon lived in front of them. And when we live a sermon in front of them, in Jesus' name and the truth, that's what will change the world. The church of Jesus Christ, being Jesus Christ, being involved in government, being involved in education, being involved in science and medicine, being involved in accounting, being involved in Every situation and every job in all of our neighborhoods, that is the hope of the world so people can see someone different who loves them, who cares about them. Jesus Christ, the God of love and truth, and we're gonna be an army of compassion. Chris and I wrote down years ago, part of the vision of our church is there'll be thousands upon thousands joined together as army of compassion to go out into the world to be Jesus to people. Not perfect people, but when Jesus lives through us, he comes through our imperfections and our brokenness and our mess, and he shines his message, and people see Jesus instead of us. Woodland Church, let's stand together and let's thank him for his love for us. Dear God, I thank you that you have saved us because of your great compassion and mercy. Nothing we could do, nothing we could do to earn it or deserve it. We can't get to perfect heaven without you, perfect God, and you died for us so that we could have perfect heaven. So I pray for those who've never received you in their life. They've never, Lord, received this amazing gift, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, in heaven one day, that they would pray this prayer right now, silently to you. Dear Jesus Christ, I need you. I admit I'm a sinner, and I need you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my life and I accept your free gift of heaven one day. Be the Lord of my life and show me how to grow in my faith and just help me obey your word. And then, Lord, I, I just pray for every one of us as Christ followers. Lord, we need to be reminded of this. I need to be reminded of this all the time. When someone doesn't like me, Lord, I, I don't like them. But you call me to pray for them. And, Lord, that's what I do, and that's what I'll keep doing. But, Lord, I forget it a lot. I forget it a lot, and I don't do the things you call me to do. Lord, help us when we see someone that's lower than us in social status, which means nothing to you, that we would treat them with the same honor and respect as someone who has high social status or, or wealth or influence, because you created them and you died for them. Lord, I pray for those that we see that are antagonistic or annoying or even hurtful and hateful, that you would help us treat them with respect, even though they may not be respectable, so that they can see something different. And because we want to be blessed. Thank you that you, in all these promises, you say, hey, do this because I command you, but it'll also bless you like crazy. We thank you for that, Lord. And I pray for those that are hurting today. So many are. In fact, all of us carry a hidden hurt, that you would go right into those hidden places in our lives and heal those hurts and let us know that you're right there with us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Woodland Church, thank the Lord for who he is and what he's doing in your life. And
There's no one gonna love you like Jesus Christ. Hey, by the way, our uh, Woodlands worship team, God's using these guys in an amazing way, and so they'll be opening for Cody Carnes on Thursday night, and you can, uh, um, they, it's in Conroe, and it's a concert that goes on every year, a big concert where the whole community's invited, and uh, you can grab one of these on your way out and see how to get tickets, and just have a, a great time at the concerts. Thursday night, right? Woo, it's gonna be awesome. And by the way, next weekend's the anniversary. We're gonna celebrate. We're gonna cast vision for what's coming, and it's gonna be a great weekend at Woodland Church. God's up to great things. We praise him. We love him. Let's sing to him. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodland Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.